0: Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech.
1: Hey everyone, hope you're healthy and safe wherever you are. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed. Thanks so much for tuning in. And today we are kicking off our very special series focused on businesses and their founders navigating these uncharted waters. And today we are in conversation with Josh Singer. So who is Josh? Josh is the founder and CEO of Cognitive Marketing. Since inception 2006, the company has been awarded the sixth fastest growing company in Canada over a five year period and the top rated marketing and sales company in the country on Glassdoor. Singer is also the founder and CEO of OptiMai.ai, a tech startup helping companies manage their workforce with automation and artificial intelligence. And in this very deep, wide ranging chat, we are focusing obviously on the events of today and how Cognitive has gone from millions in revenue down to near zero and 546 employees down to 20. And despite the sobering new reality why Josh thinks this is possibly the best thing that's ever happened to his company. So with that intro out of the way, here we go. My conversation with Josh Singer. I go
0: through periods where I'm like scared and anxious about the risks of what could happen, right? Because just, you know, 100% of my business is shut down in the sense of from an operational standpoint. We still have some team members who are employed and working on what we're looking for, because we're reinventing our business on the other side. Yep. But for the current state, it's like 100% shut down. We've laid off, uh, temporarily laid off, 546 staff. Wow. Um, and and the scariness of that, and like having our revenues drop to you know extremely low, is really scary. But, on the other side, there's an opportunity. This is the opportunity to reset. And this is where I think one company says the best companies come out of recessions. And the reason being is recessions are a forcing function of things changing in the future.
1: So this tone that you have is optimistic. And strategically, it sounds like you've thought about this at least uh, more deeply than than a lot of business leaders have. When you speak to other CEOs, and other yeah. entrepreneurs in your network. How, how do you feel like people are uh, struggling with this?
0: I'm seeing two things. So I'm not from business owner standpoint, I think I'm not really seeing as much panic, or at least people aren't sharing that panic. Um, I'm seeing right now, either people are just like, okay, well, COVID-19 is happening. So I'll just kind of not be doing work or just taking time off until this goes back up again and just cutting my costs as much as possible. I'm just going to be where I'm at. Right. And then I see people looking to create opportunity and actually say, how do I come out on the other side better? How am I either investing in myself, investing in my teams, investing in technology, investing in whatever to come out on the other side? Now, I've been doing so much work on spirituality, on presence on surrender right that this this to me that's where i've been able to just look at this as like literally gonna be like like there's stuff in my company that i didn't enjoy doing there were programs that i didn't enjoy the way they were run and they will not be run like that anymore and it's just it's not even an option we had a vision of where things would go this thing is turning it from like two years out to like three months out is basically what we're doing it's like what we had in mind and we may not have ever, never gotten to some of the stuff. And it's like, it's forcing to happen and it's happening in, in this like three month downtime. although we're not doing any work, we're literally completely like changing our business model and how we operate. Um, and basically what we're doing is we're creating the future of work starting in three months.
1: Okay. So we'll get to the future of work in just a sec, but mm-hmm. just to give people context, just describe yes. the industry that cognitive marketing is in. And yes. how are you pivoting?
0: We do uh, sales staffing for big box retail stores, essentially. So what we're doing is big box retailers hire our company to recruit, train, manage, and employ sales reps to sell products or services in their stores. So what that means is essentially the what we're doing is we're working in big box retailers. Think like Canadian Tire. Think like Staples. We've done... Uh, we're doing work like let's say in uh, a Shell and Sobeys. Um and what we're doing is we're basically either selling the store branded credit cards. So this is where like there's a rep going into the store and approaching customers and and having them sign up for that store branded credit card. Or we're selling cell phones like the physical like the Apple, iPhones, the Samsungs um, and the phone plans and then the accessories. when. COVID-19 hit, right? Literally all of our programs shut down. So that's our our main company, right? But we'd already been working on our vision of what the future looked like, which is why we have a tech company called Optimi.ai. Our old cognitive marketing staffing business was your traditional business, where you have CEO at the top, and you have your executive team, then you have more of like a senior leadership team, then we had like our regional managers, our local managers and then the frontline staff. So you had your traditional org structure. And it's a top-down approach. And COVID-19 forced us to reimagine what the business would be because if we're shut down, we potentially could lose a bunch of staff that we may or may not get back. And how would we be able to deliver if we if half the staff don't come back? And that's where we got to the virtual. Workforce management company and what I mean by that is we're not just talking about virtual like working from home What we're actually saying is we're creating the digital experience that is bottom-up not top-down so when I say future of work, right? What I'm referring to is our frontline staff are actually at the top. They're their own bosses per se. They're still employees, right? But their own, they're their own bosses. And what we're doing is we're setting up everything to be self-serve and digitally run, similar to how like an Uber driver would have that digital experience. Like they don't talk to a recruiter when they get onboarded, their training is all digital. Any communications they have with Uber, like in help or anything like that, is digitally done. The future of work to me is really around how do you create an environment where Rather than people doing stuff because their bosses are telling them to do it, that you understand what their intrinsic motivation is. And you set the rules and the processes and the incentives in such a way that you're still getting that same output. But the difference is that they feel they're making the decision on their own, which they are. The idea is you're an employee. But. You're your own boss. You set your own rules. You have uh, the, the framework and the dynamic of here's the way, here are the rules, here's what you are and are not allowed to do, and here's the consequences and, and, and benefits of doing everything, and then you could decide how you want to
1: do it yourself. And the entire Best Buy staples are, are examples of folks that you would service prior to this. When you think about the future of work and Optimi.ai. Would yes. this basket of clients look the same? And how would you position the offering to them? How would this work?
0: Yeah. So so it could be two ways right now. So right now we have Cognitive Marketing, which does the staffing and will utilize the technology of optima.ai to literally go virtual, right? Which means, again, all this stuff that we did manually, all this old org structure where we needed all these people because we had the org structure that way only way for us to be able to actually deliver on that it's the backbone of it is the technology from optimi.ai so for the main staffing company i actually see our margins increasing our our actual output per hour worked increasing as well which means i think we're going to get a lot more business so that's one area and then on the flip side what i also see is an opportunity is for optimi which is the tech company is these large companies like Staples like Canadian Tire. We don't work with Best Buy, but you know, one of our, uh, the president who's running cognitive marketing on my team, he spent 15 years at Future Shop and Best Buy here in Canada. And the idea here is right now, the amount of lost productivity just from demotivated staff or turnover is costly. But then in addition, the administrative costs that they have just to maintain their staff levels. I believe that the future of Optima is going to cut 20% of the staffing costs for large companies when we get there. What I mean by that is whatever they're paying their frontline staff, we're going to save 20% of that by way of administrative efficiencies. But to change that, to go from old world to new world is very difficult. So it's not just about the technology. It's going to be about how do you train your team?
1: Importantly. How stores or store formats are going to change, and how the shopping environment is going to change beyond this. So, when you think about this and strategize, what assumptions are you making relative to the in store experience? And on the flip side, as you're talking to big clients like Staples, uh, like Canadian Tire, what assumptions are they making about what happens on the other side?
0: What I'm seeing, right? is all these retailers are seeing a big increase in online sales. It's not going back to where it was before. What I'm hearing is again, the investment in how to create that digital sales experience is increasing. And then the other thing is, and this is where I actually feel like commercial real estate is in big trouble even after uh, COVID-19. And not necessarily right away, but when leases renew because i see a like a common theme is a lot of companies are like wow this is more productive so so i would say is the majority of companies are at least going to reduce their footprint and when that happens prices are going to fall sharply in the commercial real estate market so that that would be my prediction there like that i would not want to be investing in commercial real estate right now
1: agreed and i'd also say that there is a short term hit which is that Yes, there are plenty of active leases and obligations that are still, at least on paper, obligated to be met, let's say. But you're going to have a cohort of small businesses that will default based on COVID. And those leases are worthless at that point. Um, So commercial real estate is going to feel a short-term hit and then long-term, for sure, as you describe, as big companies understand how remote teams can be efficient or effective uh, and re-strategize accordingly
0: agreed and and just as an example my brother works for one of the biggest insurance companies in Canada and they're talking about wow like our teams actually feel more productive why do we need this much office space so i'm agreeing with you but long term it doesn't get much better either in my opinion for commercial real estate so it'll be interesting to see where they how they repurpose like again maybe demand comes back fully i just can't see that happening but let's say it does i could be wrong but if I'm not wrong, then how are they going to reimagine their business model to actually create an opportunity for that as well?
1: The behavioral change, I, I think, extends you know way beyond uh, commercial real estate, obviously, into many okay. industries. Um, and if we go back to retail for just a sec, even if you know once we flatten the curve, once caseload in terms of you know the virus starts to spread out, maybe social distancing measures retract a little bit, people start to quietly uh, go back. To their normal lives, you're still going to have this, what I'll call post traumatic stress uh, that's set in to people's minds. And their behavior is going to change. And I think it's going to really take a long time for people to feel comfortable going back into stores, going back to malls, going back out to eat at restaurants, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Agreed. So, for example, my uh, entire finance department is actually in China, right? And our head of finance over there is in China. Now, as of you know, whether it was two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whatever, China opened back up its malls. And I asked her, I said, How is the traffic right now? And she says, We're at about 50%. Yeah. Right. And that was as of last week. Right. So they'd been open for a little bit and it's 50%. So the question is, does it ever get back to 100%? How long does that take?
1: Yeah. I think it never goes back to 100% um, based on the following assumptions. One is that, as you mentioned, people have changed their behavior permanently and they now understand that they can get X product online versus yes. going physically into a store and they're comfortable doing that. You know, For example, if we exactly. just take grocery as an industry, it's obviously accelerated the amount of people that are shopping for groceries online. Uh, Prior to COVID 19, it's not as if this never existed before. It's just that COVID 19 has now accelerated this behavior. And all of a sudden, you have a huge percentage of people that are now shopping for groceries online, and they'll still be comfortable shopping for groceries online post COVID 19. And they'll ask themselves whether or not they ever have to go back to a grocery store again. And then the other end of it, um, and the prediction that I'll make, is that no one actually will feel comfortable going back to their prior behavior until there is a vaccine. So even as social distancing relaxes, the threat of, of the coronavirus is still going to be there until there's a vaccine and the vaccine's readily available for people. So even if there are less cases, uh, warmer weather, whatever these extraordinary factors might be that might help us, um, you're still going to have a percentage of people that are nervous about getting sick. And that'll keep them away from the malls and the stores and the theaters, et cetera.
0: Agreed. I think that will have an impact for sure. So I would agree with that.
1: Yeah. Um, I want to go back to something you were saying earlier at the beginning of the podcast, which was that you have these moments of panic or fear or anxiety. What are you thinking about when those moments set in?
0: What triggered this in my mind was when the U.S. shut down flights from Europe, right? The same night that the NBA shut down or at least suspended the season for the time being, right? Mm-hmm. And that triggered the North American, like, pa- realization of what is gonna happen, and then the panic started sending in. We basically saw that we'd be shutting down our business, and the first question that comes to mind is, like, can the business even survive this, right? Like, if we're gonna have zero revenue, how long are we gonna have zero revenue for? What does that mean? How are we gonna afford to pay our staff? So, the first fear is like, will the business just shut down and never open back up, or could it lead to a bankruptcy? The second fear is then, well, what about our staff, right? What's going to happen to them? How are they going to survive? This is where I'm actually really grateful for government. The fact that there are programs out there to help people who are laid off, the fact that there are programs to help businesses get through it as best as they can, it would have been delirium without support
1: from government. Although I would say, not to be a total pessimist, but but this yeah. I would the stimulus I would describe as more of a band-aid because it, it, it isn't a permanent solution and you can't keep the economy in what I'll call like a medically induced coma indefinitely. People at some point need to go back to work, need to make more than just what the government is providing with these uh, emergency checks. I, I would say you know, they've got any number of months, I'll say by the fall of 2020, um, people have to get a sense that we're going to be climbing out of this or you could have social unrest.
0: This is where like everything has been dealt with quite well so far, not as quickly as I would have liked, but I mean, it is great government so that, you know, the What my expectations are versus what reality is might be different. But the idea here is even like if someone can't afford to pay rent, um, they can't be kicked out of their house right now. And I know that that's going to be extended for a certain time period. So there's still things that aren't addressed. Like I think, you know, in in Canada, they haven't addressed um, rent from a commercial standpoint, being landlords and tenants from like businesses. And I know that the US, I don't understand how that PPP program works, but there's like forgivable loans, which could be used for either payroll or rent. And right now, the Canadian government has addressed payroll, but they haven't yet addressed rent. So think about people like retailers um, who are shut down, like all the big malls, they're paying like 25, 50,000, maybe even more a month per location in a mall, and their revenue is zero. There's only so long before even these, you know, you're seeing these big organization saying we're not paying rent that's definitely something that needs to be addressed at some point for sure mm
1: mm-hmm. um, when you spoke to your staff and mm-hmm. laid off uh, I- I'm assuming you went through different rounds of layoffs but um, what did that meeting look like with your staff yeah. and how did they respond
0: on the Wednesday night is when this stuff started happening. Conversations started happening on Thursday. Essentially on Friday, we had known that there was a high likelihood that as of Monday, we won't open back up the doors. So over the weekend, we had to do our financial planning on like, what are we going to do? What does this even look like? So every unique line item within our budget, we had to go through. And that also includes all of our people on Sunday. We actually did lay off 546 people all at once. So we had, and remember, these people are across the country, so it's not like everyone's in our home office, right? So we sent out a one-way video on Sunday night explaining what happened, what we're doing, and why we're doing it. We then scheduled smaller team calls where each team under a regional manager would have their own unique two-way conversation there's any questions and what do I need to do, how do I do it? You know, we had videos, we had Q and A, like FAQ questions sent out to the teams to, so that they could immediately go and do what they need to do. So the conversations, um, that one-way conversation was done through video, right? And then the smaller conversations, um, they actually went surprisingly well. Like out of all 546, I heard of one employee um, being, uh, like angry through it, like accusatory and, you know, like, how can you guys be doing this? And like they of we're going to sue you, like we're going to do this. During the calls, we heard a lot of positive feedback. And then even through follow ups, we had a lot of people thanking us for taking their safety into consideration. So we we're actually quite surprised at how well people received it. And I, I've actually heard not just like at first we thought we did such a great job. Which I still think we did do such a great job, but I've heard from other friends' companies similar type responses where people just understood.
1: As you pivot Cognitive's vision and develop Optimi, uh, which is the tech side of things, how many people mm-hmm. have you retained on your team?
0: Uh, we probably have 15 to 20 people.
1: So it's not nothing. I mean, that's, that's still payroll uh, at a time when I assume revenues are near zero.
0: Near zero, we're getting some support from clients to help out a little bit. The subsidy program does help big time for us keeping those staff. And that actually is an advantage on the technology side because, because our revenue's down, we could hire people and get that subsidy on the technology and actually speed up our tech development faster than we otherwise would have. So we are using that as an advantage to ourselves. Um, and you just gotta worry about cash flow in the sense that right now we're expecting to get paid eight to ten weeks after we make payment to our employees. Luckily we have cash, but mm-hmm. the idea here is is, you know, you gotta be smart. Because if we kept, for example, ideally we would have kept all of our reps, all of our managers on the subsidy program. But if we would have done that, we would not have been able to cash flow that amount. Through. and we just have to be smart about managing our cash. Also, knowing that when we come out on the other side, like you said, it's not like it's going to go back to one hundred percent. So, where we would have been extremely profitable on the other side, are we even profitable once things ramp back up again? Just given again the changes to store traffic and people coming out and stuff like that, it's an unknown. So, we need to make sure that we're prepared to weather the storm after the storm.
1: Yep. Um, how are you? personally structuring your days as it's a great the CEO? Question.
0: It's a great question. It's a, you know, it's kind of funny. I've almost flipped my day around too. And I'll explain what I mean by that is um, I used to work out in the morning before work mm-hmm. and I'd work out about four to five times a week. Um, in the first week of this, I gained four or five pounds and I didn't feel like I was eating any worse. It was just you just realize that when you're not out and about doing things, you're just burning less calories. I was even working out the same amount that I did previously, and the second week I tried to lose it and I couldn't lose it. Um, so, first of all, I'm actually focusing on eating even healthier. Um, I'm working out every single day. So the, I've worked out 15 of the last 16 days. Uh, and what I'm doing is I'm going for runs outside. And then I've been more recently trying to really focus on meditating to start the day as well. And I used to do that maybe once a week, like there were periods where I meditated more or less, but just to be in that state. Um, cause really to me, the big thing, and this is what I really wanted to hit on is in my opinion, it's what I've learned through this. And I hope that I can continue on the other side, even after COVID-19 is the idea of surrender, Right which is that the old me had an idea in my brain of how I wanted things to be. And where I would get anxiety or stress or pressure um, is me trying to turn what's in my brain into a reality. And what happens is we think our brain is right because that's what our brain does. And the stress comes from the world just doesn't work the way our brains want it to work and the stress and anxiety and the anger and depression, all that comes from when we're trying to create a reality that's just not possible. Then rather than focusing on getting things to the way they used to be, the way your brain thinks that they should be, you actually let go. It's like I actually have to actively let go and say, I know this is what my brain wants, but here's what the world's telling me. And then there's that space for creativity. And that is creativity is, well, now that this is the way it is, what options do I have? Well, I'm talking about the future of work happening in three months here and a upside down work structure and not having bosses. And what is a culture needed to do that? Like that wasn't even imagined before COVID-19. But as we started facing the realities of what was happening and how we were going to deal with it, it forced us to say, to let go of our past way of thinking and being open to completely new things that we hadn't even thought of before.
1: Definitely forces people's hands uh, on so many levels, you know, one being creativity, one being efficiency, one being productivity. I mean, the list goes on. It's certainly come at a speed in which most of us i don't think we're prepared to work on one let alone many of those things. Yeah. So so it's interesting times when you talk about surrendering are are you actively surrendering through this meditation practice that you're talking about are there other practices that you recommend?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think like to me when i think about surrender, right? What i really mean is is letting go of what my brain thinks should happen and to what is the world telling me is happening. Surrendering is letting go. It's like I know, it's acknowledging that although my, my brain is saying this is what I want, I'm letting go of that and being open to what the world is presenting to me. I'm almost trying to look at what, the, what direction the world is pulling me based on conversations I'm having, where I'm seeing things going. I'm almost looking for what is the current of the water that the world is pushing me towards. And rather than listening to my head and choosing to say, here's what my head thinks, I'm actually saying is I'm actively making the decision to saying I'm letting go of what my brain thinks I want and what my brain thinks should happen. And I'm trying to pay attention to what the signs of the world or the omens of the world are and allowing myself to go there. So as an example, right, let's say that cognitive marketing actually does go bankrupt through this, right? I'm just not like my brain's not smart enough to know why that's happening to the broader context right in five years time I might be able to look back and Steve Jobs famous commencement from Stanford says you can't connect the dots moving forward you can only look back and see why things happened, right so it's acknowledging that I can't see those signs but having faith that whatever that happens is a reason why and that if god forbid my current brain thinks well I need cognitive marketing and it's the best thing that happened to me what happens if it was actually the worst thing that's happened to me, and it's preventing me from getting to something even bigger, better, that I'm supposed to be doing right now. So I'm not saying that's what's happening, but the idea of letting go of it, that worst case scenario, although there might be some temporary pain, if it were to go bankrupt, if that does happen, then it's not meant to be. In every crisis, there's also an opportunity, and if you actually believe that, then really what it's about is letting go to what your brain thinks should happen, looking at the signs of the world and where it's taking you, And then allowing creativity to happen to see what could come
1: in the last couple of minutes, Josh, the chat resources that you mentioned. So these, these groups on that are YPO related or EO related, um, those communities are, are quote unquote gated metaphorically speaking. What about other group resources that people can take advantage of that are fee-free?
0: So that I don't know. So for example, one of my friends who runs a tech company, he started a, WhatsApp group called founders. And there's literally hundreds of people in this WhatsApp group that, 78 people, and these are people from Canada and the US. So I think there's a lot of people out there who are looking to support others that have set up uh, Zoom chats or Facebook groups or whatever to engage people.
1: Those are all great tips. And I also encourage people to look you up on LinkedIn and connect with you if you're okay with it. You have some pretty valuable videos uh, that I think are very noteworthy, that founders and other folks interested in navigating these waters can take advantage of.
0: Sounds good. Yeah. I'm always
1: open to that. Okay, man. Well, this has been uh, very interesting and, and wide ranging. So, so thanks for doing this yes. and all the best with the pivot of both cognitive and optimi.ai and the future of work. And I, I will remain optimistic on my end. Thank
0: you. Have a good one, Adam. Nice chatting with you.
1: Okay. Appreciate you coming on.
0: and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production.
1: I'll see you there.